This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 76. I'm back this week without Bridget. Um, I really enjoyed those last two podcasts that Bridget and I did about Myers-Briggs. It was super fun. And even listening back to it, I enjoyed it. So that's pretty interesting when I can actually enjoy listening to myself. But I hope you all enjoyed it too. And I hope you recognized yourself in one of those Myers-Briggs types because you have to be one of them. But I hope you were able to recognize yourself, get some things out of it, and then apply it and use it in your everyday life as a leader or just as a person. Because learning more about yourself is one of those things that will just open up the world to you. So as you can tell, I love personality profiling, and I've said that before, but I really hope you enjoyed it. Next week on the podcast, I'm going to be answering your questions. I really appreciate you sending them in to me. I've gotten a few so far, and I'm really excited to do that podcast. So get your questions in as soon as possible. If you can, I'll probably be recording a couple days from now, and I need those questions. You can ask me anything about any subject that we've talked about on the podcast or anything else for that matter in your work or your life. Whatever you want to talk about, I'm game. So send me some questions and we will answer them on the podcast next week. This week, I want to talk about compassion fatigue again. And I know that we've talked about this before. It's a subject that's near and dear to us as veterinary professionals. It's something that's talked about a lot out there in the veterinary world. But it came to my mind this week because of all the things going on in the world, the COVID, the race riots, the racism narrative, the anti-police protests and things, there's been a lot of mental pressure on all of the us. Whatever side of whatever issue you're on, doesn't really matter politically where you're at. What really matters is the effect that it's having on us emotionally, mentally, and how do we handle that and also do a good job in our work because our work is very stressful to us at times and it in and of itself can cause compassion fatigue. We had some things at work this week that really brought it to mind. People were stressed. We had people calling in sick because they had so much stress that they couldn't deal with it. We've had people crying at work. People are getting short-tempered. It's just hard, the things that we're having to deal with, and then having this caring profession on top of it. And I'm so concerned about us keeping ourselves together and not letting this take us down because compassion fatigue, if we understand it, And if we think about it and we develop the right tools to manage our minds around it, we can definitely do better. So there's several descriptions of compassion fatigue. So first I want to go through what it really is. When I think of stress and burnout, 
I think of a gradation of different things. So stress, day in and day out, little bits of it we can handle. You can get a little bit stressed. You can get over it. That seems to be something that most of us can handle is small amounts of stress. Then what happens when we don't deal with our stress appropriately, it can build and build. And then eventually it can cause burnout. Now, I kind of group compassion fatigue into those two things when I talk about them in my speaking and here on the podcast even, because I do think they relate. But compassion fatigue has a little bit of a different definition and a little bit different origin or causation, or I can't think of the exact word that I want, but it has a different root. It comes from a different place in our mind and in our jobs. So first, I want to go through a couple of definitions of compassion fatigue so we can really understand what we're talking about here. One short version that I kind of like that I found is compassion fatigue is the physical and emotional exhaustion that arises from the constant demand for us to be compassionate and effective in helping those in need and those who are suffering. And that definition I found, I thought was kind of short and sweet and summed compassion fatigue up in a pretty interesting way. In our job, we do have a constant demand for compassion and we have to be effective in helping. And so those two things combined for people that are suffering, for pets that are suffering, for even our teammates in the workplace that are suffering. Because for me right now, that's where a lot of my compassion fatigue is coming from, is trying to care for my team. They're all suffering because of what's going on in the world right now and trying to keep them cared for and loved and supported causes a lot of stress on myself and therefore can lead to these feelings of compassion fatigue and even overwhelm in some instances. Now, there's a little bit longer definition that I found. This definition is more of the classic definition, and this is by Charles Figley, and he is the person that originally described compassion fatigue as an actual thing, and um, there are workbooks that you can get to that talk about compassion fatigue. You can get them from the Figley Institute. There's a PDF online that you can download. If so, if you want to get a little bit more information about Charles Figley's way of describing compassion fatigue, you can go to the Figley Institute website. And so this is what their description is of compassion fatigue. And I think this one, although it's a little bit longer, it's a little bit more detailed, and I think it really describes what some of us go through. It says, compassion fatigue is a recent concept that refers to the emotional and physical exhaustion that can affect helping professionals and caregivers over time. It's been associated with a gradual desensitization to patients' stories, and in our in our profession, probably client stories, a decrease in quality care for patients and clients, sometimes described as poor bedside manner, and an increase in clinical errors, higher rates of depression, anxiety disorder among helpers, and rising rates of stress and degradation of the workplace climate. 
helping professionals have also found that their empathy and ability to connect with their loved ones and friends is impacted by compassion fatigue. And doesn't that happen to us? I thought that was really interesting. The rest of the definition says, in turn, this can lead to increased rates of stress in the household, divorce, and social isolation. The most insidious aspect of compassion fatigue is that it attacks at the very core of what brings helpers into this work, their empathy and their compassion for others. So basically what they're saying here is that we are super empathetic and super caring people. And what compassion fatigue does is it attacks us in that very thing that brings us to our work, which is fascinating, isn't it? So people like us that are drawn to professions that are high in empathy and high in needing compassion or causing us to be compassionate is the very thing that sets us up for suffering from this thing called compassion fatigue. And there's a real yin and yang about that. The reason that we went into this profession, the reason that we got into this is kind of attacking us in a way. It's taking away the very thing that we came into this profession for. So let's talk about that a little bit. There are certain types of people that are more prone to becoming overwhelmed by this thing called compassion fatigue. And these are personality traits. These are things that are kind of inborn to you. And so to get some awareness of whether or not you're going to be the type of person that can suffer from compassion fatigue, if you haven't really yet or you don't really understand why you're feeling the way you are, these personality traits can set people up for higher levels of compassion fatigue. The first one is someone that's very responsible. And I don't know about you, but I'm the oldest child in my family, and I always felt like I was the responsible one. And sometimes to this day, I still do, which is kind of strange. But I've always felt like I had to be responsible. It's almost like you're the good little person when you were a child. You know, there's certain children that are kind of the good kids that do what they're told and they take responsibility. And if you are one of those children that was always trying to be good, trying to do the right thing, you are gonna be one of these people that's gonna be more prone to suffering from this compassion fatigue. Because what happens with somebody that's highly responsible and always gets to work on time and always does the right thing and wants what's best for everyone else is you get to this point where you're giving and giving of yourself over and over. You're that highly responsible. I'm the one that takes responsibility. I'm the one that cleans up after myself. If you're the one that washes the dishes in the kitchen at work because nobody else is doing it, you might be the one that will suffer from compassion fatigue more readily than the next person. And so if you're that type or if you identify as being very responsible and doing the right thing type of person, that is one thing that you need to be aware of. Another thing is if you're the type of person that isn't very good at setting boundaries for yourself. And I call these people people pleasers because we want everyone to like us. We want everyone to respond to us. We don't want to disappoint anyone. 
And because of that, we have a hard time setting boundaries for other people. And if we don't create some boundaries to protect ourselves from stress, from doing too much for other people, then we are going to set ourselves up to suffer from compassion fatigue because that people-pleasing, that giving of yourself in all things, the type of person that when your neighbor knocks on the front door and has a stray cat or something and you don't want to say take it to the emergency clinic or take it to the Humane Society and then gently shut the door, if that makes you feel guilty because you want to help everybody, that's the kind of person that is going to be more prone to suffering from this thing called compassion fatigue. Another thing that will set you up for suffering is the fact that you have these perfectionistic tendencies. So if you're a perfectionist, if you recognized yourself in the Myers-Briggs types that suffered from, I don't like to say suffered from perfectionism because a lot of us are perfectionists and um, even I am in some ways. But if you have a tendency to try to do everything perfectly and if you don't do it perfectly, you beat yourself up a little bit in your brain, then that is going to set you up for this thing called compassion fatigue. What happens to us when we are perfectionists is we will have a tendency to hang on to things that happened in the past that didn't go well. And when you hang on to every little thing that doesn't go perfectly, if you suffer from it over and over and over again, or you beat yourself up when you made a mistake in the past, if you had a case that didn't go very well, even though it wasn't your fault, but you hang on to it, then you, your brain will be more likely to suffer. And then the last thing that kind of goes along with all these other things, the responsible person, the people pleaser, the perfectionist, is the person that always puts others before you. If you're the person that is a natural caregiver and every other person in your life gets primary treatment before you get primary treatment. And I've written articles about this. I've talked about this before because this is a common thing with people that are mothers along with veterinarians or mothers along with veterinary technicians. We want to put everybody ahead of ourselves. We put our husbands ahead of ourselves, our spouses, our team members, our pets even sometimes will get primary care before we do. And if you're a natural caregiver, like the definition said that I read earlier, you are going to be more likely to suffer from compassion fatigue. Now, compassion fatigue has a lot of symptoms. And so if you're unsure whether you might be suffering from compassion fatigue or you're concerned that somebody that you know is suffering from it, and this is not something that is like a disease that we can cure, It's something in our brains that we can work on and we can acknowledge and we can understand. And once we understand it and we understand where it's coming from, then we can do some coaching work either with a coach or on our own to get our brain into a better place. And so we don't let this compassion fatigue take us down. So let's talk a little bit about some of the symptoms. If you have sleep disturbance, If you don't really care sometimes about things that are going on around you, if you get to the point where you're like, I don't really care anymore, if you're withdrawing from some of your relationships, either in the workplace or at home, 
if you are tense a lot and you are snappy, sometimes just that tolerance for stress goes way down. And an example of this would be if something very minor happens that might be slightly stressful at work, like you have a big dog that comes in that doesn't like getting his nails trimmed and he's struggling or or something minor like that, something that's not life-threatening, and you overreact and you get angry or you swear or you yell. And believe me, I've done this because I have a tendency to be mouthy sometimes. I'm not a big swearer. I'm not... Um, one of those people that curses a lot, but I do have a tendency to verbalize my frustration. So if something very minor happens at work and I overreact, that would be a, a sign that I might have compassion fatigue or I might be heading down that road. Increased anxiety, if you're feeling more anxious than you used to, if you're having more little anxiety attacks in the day, if you are not attending to your activities, if you're somebody that likes to exercise and you've been kind of skipping it, if you're overeating to avoid your emotions, if you're over watching TV, these are all things that might tell you that you're suffering. And the primary thing that happens is you're less compassionate, which is exactly the opposite of what we want. We want to be highly compassionate professionals in this profession. And if all of a sudden you're losing that, if you don't care anymore, if you, if you have a hard time feeling sympathy for the things around you and the things that are happening around you, you might be suffering. If you're feeling trapped, if you're feeling like a victim and that your job is just holding you back, if you're feeling physically or emotionally exhausted, that could be a sign. If you lose a patient or go through a euthanasia and you can't let it go if you keep hanging on to it, that could be a symptom. And another thing I want you to really be aware of, and I kind of mentioned it a second ago, is if you start to develop habits, destructive habits to your health or your well-being, whether it's over drinking, whether it's overeating, eating too much junk food, you know, going through the fast food drive through on your way home, because what you're doing by taking these destructive actions for, to your body, and it could even be an addiction, a drug addiction, anything, gambling, you name it. Any of these things are basically self-medicating. What you're trying to do is medicate with food, medicate with alcohol, and try to stuff the feelings down that you're feeling, that overwhelm of too much compassion that you just can't deal with it. And so because you're stressed and you're feeling this anxiety, you are stuffing your emotions and not really feeling them and then beating yourself up because you feel like you're doing something terrible. And so the food, the alcohol, drugs, whatever your buffer of choice that you're trying to stuff your emotions down with will be a sign that you're suffering from compassion fatigue. And in order to get over those self-destructive behaviors, you have to understand where the feelings are coming from and actually really feel them. So if you get to the point where you're just numbing yourself with anything, it can actually be anything. Some people over abuse exercise even. If you're doing that, 
to cover up the sadness, to cover up the apathy that's coming from your compassion fatigue, you may be to the point where you actually need some professional help because this can turn into a very serious addiction, either to drugs or alcohol. So be aware of this in yourself. And if you don't feel like you can manage the feelings that you're having and you can't stop with some of these buffering behaviors, then you absolutely need to reach out and get help. So how is it that we can work through compassion fatigue? Like I said, if you need help, get help. But there are ways and there are things that we can do to try to work our way out of compassion fatigue. And a big thing that we have to learn to do is take care of ourselves. Self-care is important. If you don't take care of yourself, and we've talked about things like this before, you are not going to be able to take care of the people you need to take care of. And so you come first. And because we're the type of people that want to put others first, this can be a struggle. So the first thing I would recommend that you do is spend some time figuring this out. Spend some time with yourself. That is so important. Figure out your brain. What is it that you're thinking? What is it that's causing these feelings? And it sounds really strange, but have some compassion for yourself because this is something that we have to work through. We talk about work-life balance. What does that really mean? We need to figure out a way to renew or create a better feeling about ourselves because that part of your brain that wants to beat you up wants to buffer your feelings, wants to stuff away everything, and wants to take care of everyone else is not caring for you. So spend some time thinking about what is it that you really want in your life? What does that balance look like for you? And what do you need to be the best part of you? So there's a thing called a life balance wheel. And this is something that I got from Tony Robbins. And there's a million of them, but this is the one that I pulled up to talk about. And this life balance wheel has multiple components. Basically, they are your health. So that would be physical health. Your wealth, which would be your financial health. Your family and friends. Your playtime or your fun time relationships with other people, your career, your personal space, and your self-care, I would say, in personal space as well, and your spirituality. So those things are the things that we all need to keep in balance in order to feel more balanced and in order to deal with this job that requires so much compassion from us. So the first thing I would say to you is if you want to take care of yourself health-wise, You have to sit down and think about that. Are you eating properly? Are you planning your meals? Are you taking healthy meals to work? Or are you just grabbing silly, gross snacks on the way by? Today, I was at work and I was hungry. And I went into the lunchroom to see if there was anything for me to eat. And there was a bag of these mini candy bars. So the first thing I wanted to do is grab a handful and just eat a handful of candy bars. And that was going to be my snack. And so you really have to look at that because that's not 
going to fuel your body well and therefore you're not going to feel good if you just eat a bunch of candy bars. Now, I'm not saying that I didn't eat one because I did, but I am saying that I went and looked for something healthier because I didn't want to sit there and just eat candy bar after candy bar. I knew that wouldn't make me feel good. So think about that. Think about, are you getting enough sleep? And if you're not, change that. Even if it's just for a few days, set your alarm a little bit later if you can, or go to bed a little bit earlier and just try getting more rest. That in and of itself will start to make you feel better. If you haven't had any fun or done anything fun in the last few months, which a lot of us haven't because of the whole COVID lockdown thing, get out and do something that you enjoy. For me, it's a bike ride. I feel so much better if I just go ride my bike. If it's walking your dogs, if it's running, whatever it is that feeds your body and makes you feel better, whatever it is that's fun for you, make sure that you indulge in that. And even maybe not think of it as an indulgence. Think of it as a very important part of your day. Put that first. And if you do, that's going to help get your brain into a better place where you can understand where your compassion fatigue is coming from and help you deal with it. So take care of your bodily health. Take care of your playtime or your fun. Those are two really important things. Take care of your relationships at home and at work. If you're struggling with the people that you work with, sit down and have a small conversation with them. Ask them how they're doing. Just not to cause yourself more empathy. You don't want to overuse your empathy because that's what got you into this problem in the first place. But you definitely want to nurture those relationships because as a person that's suffering from compassion fatigue, you're going to pull back. You're not going to stay engaged with those people. So engage them and speak to them. Nurture those relationships. Spend time with your family and friends. Let go of work. Get some personal space. Practice your spirituality, whatever that is, whether you pray, whether you meditate, whatever you do to connect with the spiritual realm and kind of Get over yourself and realize that there's a bigger picture than just your work. And then set some personal boundaries. And that's something that's so important. And remember, when we talk about boundaries, it's not about other people and telling them what to do and controlling them. It's telling other people what you will do if they cross your personal boundary. So set some boundaries. If someone wants you to stay after work, to do something personal for them, and that is a boundary for you, just say, that is a boundary violation for me. I promised I would leave work at such and such a time. I'm sorry, I'm leaving work. No guilt, no reservation. Set some boundaries because you have to protect yourself and your time. And then another way to think about compassion fatigue and your empathy is that your empathy is a commodity that's limited. And if you think about it in that way, that you only have so much empathy every day, then you will give it deliberately and offer it selectively. And that sounds really strange because we want to be empathetic with everyone, but you don't really have to. You can decide who you want to offer your empathy to and be very deliberate about the way you do it. 
And if you do that, if you think about empathy as something that is valuable, that you're offering in certain conditions or to certain events that are happening in the day, and that you're not going to empathize with everyone, you're going to reserve your capacity for empathy. And because compassion fatigue is an overuse of your empathy, if you reserve it, you will be less likely to suffer. So what do I mean by that? Let's not be empathetic for every single thing that happens in the world. Let's not read every Facebook post for every random person that's out there that's suffered something tragic because that is going to use up empathy that you don't necessarily have to use. Let's not commiserate with every little thing that one of your teammates is going through, especially if it's something that's not highly important to you. If they're very upset because their husband didn't buy them flowers on their birthday, you can listen to that story, but you don't have to give up your empathy. You can listen and say, yeah, that that's too bad. I'm sorry you feel that way, but don't spend a lot of your energy giving your empathy to that situation because it's not something you're choosing to invest in. It's kind of like investing your money. You invest your money in things that are important to you and things that aren't important to you, you don't invest in. So if you think of your empathy as something finite, you only have so much every day, then you can decide on purpose who and in what situation you want to offer it. So become highly intentional and set very strong boundaries around your empathy. Another thing that I think is highly important in order to keep your brain in the place it needs to be to when you're at work or when you're at home is to just focus on what is. Focus on what's happening in front of you right now. Focus on one veterinary case at a time. Focus on one thing at a time. Because if you can fully focus on each thing, your brain is going to be less confused, it's going to feel less stress, it's going to feel less overwhelmed. Juggling, multitasking, which I love to do, I'm a notorious multitasker, but it doesn't really serve you. So if you've got 10 people in the waiting room and they're complaining because it's been uh, 30 minutes since my appointment, you know, we had that today, um, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, don't concentrate on those people. Just concentrate on the one you're taking care of right now. Choose the way you think about it and get it done and then move forward. And then when you go home, concentrate, be present on what you're doing. If you're during your spiritual time, concentrate on that. If you're exercising, concentrate on that. If you're spending time with your spouse or your children, concentrate on that. Put your phone down, turn it off, even if it's only for an hour. Connect with what's right in front of you. And the more you develop that ability to conserve your empathy and focus on the important things in your life, taking care of yourself, understanding your needs, understanding how to take care of yourself physically, emotionally, financially, you are going to be able to get through anything. And no matter how bad the circumstances get in your life and what's going on in the world, if you can just focus and look inward and take care of yourself, 
you will be able to be a better veterinarian, a better veterinary technician, a better person. And managing your mind will allow you to increase your capacity for empathy. So take care of yourself, focus on what you can do, and set some very strong boundaries. And I want you to hear one thing that I say at the end here. I want you to really listen to this. The fact that you're working, the fact that you're trying to improve yourself, the fact that you're listening to this podcast today and you're getting information about how to take care of yourself, how to love yourself, how to understand your brain means that you are doing a fabulous job because you're here, you're focused, you're working on it, you're doing it. And you're showing up in your life every day. And that's crazy fabulous. So if you're feeling stressed out, you're struggling, you're overwhelmed, you feel like you have compassion fatigue and you can relate to what we've talked about today, just hang in there and understand that you are a normal human being and love yourself. Just put your arms around yourself and give yourself a hug because you can do this. You are a strong, amazing human and reach out for help because although that seems hard at times, there is help out there. Find a coach, call me, sign up for coaching. There's plenty of help out there for you. If you want to coach with me, go to my website, juliecapel.com or veterinarylifecoach.com and please email me. Give me some feedback on the podcast. If you can leave me a five-star review, that would be amazing. But take care of yourself, everybody. It's a hard time right now out there in the world, but we can do this. We're strong. We're resilient. We are badass people. So just hang in there and let me know if you need help. And I will be answering your questions next week on the podcast. I'm so looking forward to that. Have a beautiful week, my friends. Bye.